Welcome to Steamboat Christian Center. We are so glad that you're here this morning. And if you're watching online, let us know that you are so that we can say hi. Yeah, well, hey, my name is Bailey, and I get to be the young adults pastor here at SCC. And uh, man, we are glad that you all are here with us and ready or not. Spring is sneaking up on us a little bit. Um, I assume you know because you're here on time. Spring Ford was this morning. Um, you can't hide your yawns from me. I'm up here. I can see all of you guys. Um, and then if you're also, if you're, if you're out walking around town and you just stop, you can hear the trickles from like every single direction. That means the snow is melting, right? And that's just another sign that spring is coming whether we like it or not. And uh, so in the springtime that's coming up, we have some things um, that are coming up with the church that are going to be really exciting that we want you all to know about. Um, we want you guys to stay connected in that. And so on the seat in front of you, there's a QR code that you can scan. And so before you leave today, you can go ahead and scan that and uh, see how you can stay connected. And we're going to let you know about those things that are coming up. Yes, we are. Steamboat Kids is solving a mystery. So parents and families, put March 25th, 6 p.m. It's a Saturday night on your calendar. You need to be here. It is the Steamboat Kids Family Experience. And if you're wondering what the family experience is, it's a show that parents and kids experience together, and it makes your family better. Yeah. What do you think the mystery so is? So what's the mystery? I don't know. You're going to have to be here to find out. Got to be here. Got to bring your kids and whatnot. Um, so that's going to be a great time. Hey, one another thing that we love here at SEC is Easter. We love to have fun and we love Easter. And so we're going to bring Easter in um, the only way we know how. And that's the extravaganza, the 18th annual extravaganza coming up here in a couple weeks. So Easter is going to be on Sunday, April 9th. We're going to celebrate the extravaganza on Saturday, April 8th. And so make sure you mark that on your calendars. Um, we've been kind of struggling to find a place to have this because, as you know, everything is covered with snow. And here in a few weeks, even if the snow melts, stuff is going to be mushy, right? And so um, we think we have a location locked in. So go ahead and stay tuned um, for us to announce that. Yes, and on Easter weekend, we're also going to be having baptism here. So if you've never been baptized, you should definitely consider it. It is the way that we show and express our inward personal relationship with Jesus and share it to everybody. So it's a great time to share this with family and friends. I was baptized about six years ago as an adult with my son, Brady. Uh, how about you, Bailey? When were you baptized? Uh, I was baptized in high school. Okay, cool. So kids, teenagers, adults... It's open to anyone, and we'd love to celebrate the fact that you are following Jesus publicly. So uh, please go ahead and visit the website for more information, and you can talk to anybody about that as well. Yeah, a lot of great things coming up with our church. So if someone didn't get to church today that you know, make sure and let them know about this stuff. Um, and as for now, if you guys could go ahead, stand to your feet, tell someone happy spring, give them a high five. We're going to sing a little bit more, get into week two of Don't. i 
slavery of fear, Lord, through you. You give us freedom to walk through any trial, any trouble, Lord. You give us the courage and the boldness, Lord, and you break off that fear. And we thank you for that. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. How are you doing? You are at church on time. I'm so proud of you. Make this pastor so proud. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, man, I talked to so many people that uh, traveled a long ways to come this morning. Talked to a couple that drive from Craig every Sunday to come to church. Isn't that pretty impressive? Yeah, okay, maybe not. I thought it was pretty cool. But, uh, <laughs> and then a uh, family from Hayden, and then a family in the back that uh, is here from Wisconsin. Now, they didn't drive, but they're here on vacation. They watch us online every week. Welcome everyone that's here in person online. Glad that you're a part of our church here. Good to see you. My name is Troy. Hey, uh, I uh, just, I, man, there's some cool things happening in our church, and we just never have a time enough to talk about it. And I'm going to take a little piece of uh, my time and share with you something that is such a huge thing for our church. You've heard over the last several months that our church has taken a big step of faith. Uh, this is something that is just a big dream and a big hope and, and a big project for us. Um, we are, as you heard, uh, helping start a new Christian school here in our valley. Um, we're starting it in the fall, a K through eight. Yeah, and uh, pretty pretty pumped about this. Uh, we we believe, as far as I know, it's the only faith based, uh, Bible based uh, school in the Yampa Valley. And so this is something that's needed. And more than that, it's part of our vision. We want to raise up champions for Christ. We want we invest a lot in young people. And we we want them to know who they are in Christ, know who Jesus is, and be able to effectively share that hope with their friends. And so, hey, uh, we've been talking about how they've had a priority enrollment. They've just opened for enrollment right now. And if you're a mom, dad, uh, have a kid, K through eight, I really want to encourage you to think about and pray about uh, being a part of Steamboat Christian Academy. It's going to be excellent education, but filled with faith. I wanted to invite a family that jumped on board of this thing early on and are super, super excited about this. I want to invite the Jenkins family. This this is Jocelyn and Sean, and I want them to just come up and tell you a little bit about their heart and why they are pumped about that. Would you guys welcome them to the Christian Center? Come on. Amen. Good morning. My name's Jocelyn, and um, I'm up here because I just want to share with you the excitement that we have for Steamboat Christian Academy and what the impact Christian schooling has had on our family. 
Um, first, I want to explain to you a child's life um, and balls. So here are 936 balls. Each ball represents one week in a child's life from the minute they're born until they're 18. So we have 936 weeks of them under our roof. And if a child attends church every single Sunday for one hour, do you know how many weeks of church they get? They get, drumroll, seven. They get seven weeks of biblical teaching. But with Steamboat Christian Center and Steamboat Christian Academy, we're about to blow this number out of the water. So with a K through eight program, you will have half of these balls, about 468 weeks that a child will be in a Christian environment. They will be poured on, they will be prayed for, they will be loved on, they will be in a community with other kids that will encourage them and build them up. And that's just like amazing that this can happen in this community and that it's happening. It's happening and we are so excited. We have five children, two are grown and three are in elementary school. And our two oldest kids went to a K through 12 Christian school. And I can tell you now as adults, um, they took, they say all the time what an impact that that had on them. And they love God and they love people and they'll give you the shirt off their back. They said it has impacted them as adults and they always reflect on that. So whether your child can attend and go one year, two years, five years or all, the impact, you have no idea what God is going to do in that child and move. And our goal is to have these kids love God and love people. Amen. Thank you. And I'm Sean. And as I think about, you know, as a parent, um, it's, it's pretty effortless for me to think if there's a Christian school opportunity, I want to at least explore it and probably invest in, and have my uh, child in that. And, and I kind of had to question where that came from in me. I grew up um, uh, in a house where we did not go to church. Uh, I went to public schools and I did just fine and got through the public schools, but I didn't have Bible training along the way. Thankfully, um, a Southern Baptist bus ministry scooped me and some kids up in a neighborhood when I was 13 and took me to this little church, and I met the Lord there and, and learned about Jesus. But that was just for a few years, and then because my family didn't go, I sort of drifted away. But thankfully, I was able to go to a, a Christian university. I went to get a business degree and became a, a commercial pilot. But it was a Christian school, and we had Bible classes that were required, and uh, the philosophy classes, and everything was taught through a biblical worldview. And it was so astonishing to me that these teachers were up there talking about how God created things and, and even the concept of math and, and whatnot. And so as my career went on, I, I uh, started a business and it got very large and was very successful. And um, the more responsibility I got, I, I just kept seeing myself relying so heavily on the biblical training that I got, the, the view of serving people, of, of everyone having respect for each other and loving God and loving people. And so as, as our children um, have been growing, we think you know, if, if we can get them in a Christian school, that's what we wanna do. And we are now able to do that in Steamboat. And I'm so excited. Um, you're gonna hear more in the coming weeks from the, the people that have put the school together, just brilliant people, passionate, tons of teachers have applied to teach here. So your kids would be in a smaller class size with teachers that have selected to be here because of their faith. Um, and I just want to encourage you to, to look into it. There's a lot of people um, that want to invest in your children, too. There's been some real generous giving at the church, uh, and there'll be a scholarship program. So at least take the opportunity to look online, look into Steamboat Academy, and you just might be amazed what your child will get out of it. I wish I had gone through that experience and had uh, even 
10 more balls, let alone seven. Um, and uh, so thank you very much for having us today. We are super excited to share this vision that Jesus gave us to love God and to love people with young people. And my sense is that it would change their lives. Young people, if they just knew Jesus as we knew him, you know, and we, we've all had to fight through religion and tradition and all that. But man, if they could walk out of this school and go into the high school knowing how to share their faith and live it out in a real way and be excited about their faith, that's what this school's all about. That's our vision. I hope that you take a few minutes to take a look at that, okay? All right, thank you. All right, appreciate that time. So today, we are in part two. Let me transition here to a series that we started last week called Don't. Everybody say don't. don't. Say it aggressively. Don't. Don't, don't do that. Um, if you missed last week, I really, really, really want to encourage you to go back and watch the message. It was kind of a standalone message in some ways. Uh, I think it'll encourage you, challenge you on how you uh, hear the word and you know what Jesus was about, and, uh, and, but it does set the table for the next few weeks. Um, but let me catch you up real quickly. Here's how I'll do it. Number one, Jesus shows up on the planet, okay? Jesus shows up on the planet, and he starts a brand new movement. This wasn't an extension of the old. It was a brand new movement. And in that, he offers a new covenant, a new contract, a new agreement with people that would create a new way for people to relate to God that was so much better than the old way. Uh, it was fulfilled through Jesus, uh, and uh, he offers us something amazing. Now, we know that what happens next, Jesus died on a cross. And when he died on a cross, those who followed him, those who were kind of part of his uh, crew, they basically thought it was game over. Every one of them. There were no Christians when Jesus died on the cross. They all left. They thought it was over. But then Jesus did something that no one saw coming. He rose from the dead. Can I get an amen in this church? Amen. That is why we're here. That's what the church is about. Without the resurrection, we're wasting our time here. He rose from the dead, and Jesus' resurrection validated everything that he taught and everything that he claimed about himself. A few weeks later, if you know history, the church was born. And these hundreds of people who witnessed, saw Jesus alive after he was crucified, were excited and fired up, and they went out and began sharing this amazing news with the world. But here's the thing. And this is what we talked about last week that you may not know. They didn't really have a lot more than that to go on. That was it. Uh, Christianity at this time and through the first several decades was basically uh, a religion based on resurrection. It was a resurrection religion. That was what it was all centered around. And as we saw last week, the old covenant and its 600 commandments, all those do's and don'ts, those 600 commandments, no longer applied to these, these people. It no longer applied to them. Jesus, with his new covenant, came with one commandment. And it was a pretty amazing commandment. He said this, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. In some ways, so much simpler than all of those other rules and regulations, but in some ways, harder, right? But it's a brilliant, brilliant thought that you and I, you and I, although we ought to study the Bible, we ought to know what it says, we don't have to know what the Bible says to do the right thing because Jesus would say this. You need to ask yourself this question. What does love require of me? That's how we can navigate this world. In any situation, any circumstance, all I have to do is go, how would Jesus love in this moment? If I'll do that, I'm doing right. That's what he told us. And so he gave us this incredible commandment, but it, there wasn't a lot of clarity to these people on how to actually kind of live their lives. Because think about this, during this time, during those first several years and those couple decades, there were no gospels. 
There was no Bible, clearly, and there were no Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John hadn't been written yet and hadn't been circulated. The Apostle Paul hadn't uh, wrote his letters to the churches at this point. In fact, some of you that grew up reading the Bible, you know that the Apostle Paul wrote probably half of the New Testament. Um, about 25 years after the resurrection, Paul began writing letters to believers who were living all around the Mediterranean. Uh, he wrote letters to people in Corinth, places like Ephesus, uh, wrote to the people in Rome, and he would instruct them and give them ways to kind of rationalize and practice this out. Well, about uh, 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 eventually his letters were circulated and passed around from church to church. These guys got their letters to the Corinth and they passed them over to Galatia and they would exchange letters and people would read these things. But that took about another 25 years before that finally happened. So you may not know this, but this is the truth. For the first 50 years of the Christian church, all these people really had to go on. They didn't have the Gospels. They didn't have Paul's epistles. Basically, they had just kind of an odd assortment of parables and some commands that Jesus had given that were remembered and retold by the original disciples that were kind of being shared one by one as they passed this around. And so, in this series, we're doing something fun. We're, we're kind of going back in time. And we're asking ourselves a question. What would have it been like to be one of Jesus' first followers? What would it have been in those first years to be one of Jesus' first followers and knowing that all we had to go on were the things that Jesus told us to do and to not do? We didn't have a Bible. We just had these things that Jesus told us to do and not do. The Jewish scriptures were available, that's true, and they were filled with hundreds of do's and don'ts. But like I said, these people that I'm talking about, the early Christians for the most part, um, uh, during those first decades, were Gentiles. They weren't Jewish believers. They wouldn't have understood the Jewish scriptures. They didn't read it. They were followers of Jesus. And Jesus gave them some do's and don'ts. In fact, I told you last week that were five don'ts, five very specific don'ts that Jesus often repeated throughout his ministry. He had these commandments that started with the word don't. Don't do this, don't do that. And the question would be, how would we live our lives if all we had to go on was the resurrection and these five simple commandments? What would, what would happen how would we actually live our life out? Well, I'll tell you, and this is why this is worth asking. Um, the reality is, is that these five simple commandments were the very thing that fueled the church to incredible growth during its first 20 or 30 years. It exploded all over the world, and in part because of these teachings that Jesus gave. And so we're going to look at this. Now, what's interesting about these five don'ts is that, and I mentioned this last week, that these five don'ts weren't taken very seriously uh, by his followers until after the resurrection. Why? Because they were so pie in the sky. They were so unrealistic. Whenever Jesus taught them this, they just kind of like, whatever, Jesus, that sounds nice, but that's not practical. And, they, and so these five don'ts, these guys, the, the disciples didn't take them seriously until after the resurrection. And as we go through these one by one, I think you'll begin to understand uh, why they were so hard to, to accept. But today, what I want to do is I want to start off by looking at the first commandment, the first don't that Jesus gave us. And I'm going to introduce it to you in Old Testament terms because that's kind of how we get commandments. This isn't how Jesus introduced it, but this is how I'll do it. Ready? Here's the first commandment. Thou shall not fear. Thou shalt not fear. Hmm. Now, when I hear that, when I ever, whenever I hear one of God's commandments, 
especially when I was new in faith and new to church. I, uh, whenever uh, I hear one of God's commandments, I don't know about you, but part of me kind of wells up inside and said, don't you tell me what to do. You know what I'm saying? There's a part of me inside when God says, don't do something, I'm like, I will fear if I want to. I will fear with who I want to, with what I want to, with when I want to, and you can't say nothing. I'm just going to do what I want. I don't like being told no, right? There's a part, how many, is that, am I alone on this? We all kind of resist some of these commandments that are being told to us. But when I look at this one, when I hear this one, uh, part of me goes, wait a second. Did you say thou shalt not fear? In other words, don't be afraid. Hmm. Is that even possible? Is it even possible to be able to, to, to follow that commandment? Not be afraid? Jesus would say, yep. And he would say, listen, if you follow me, I'll show you how. I'll show you how not to be afraid. Wow. Uh, this, uh, believe it or not, was one of Jesus' favorite commandments. Over and over and over again, he's told his disciples, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. And over and over and over again, they ignored him. They never lived up to it. It was a hard thing for them. They were like, don't be afraid. Are you serious, Jesus? How is that even possible? Don't you know everyone hates us? They want to kill us? Jesus, aren't you aware that this world is a dangerous place, that there are a lot of things out there to be afraid of? Here's my point. They, just like us, knew that fear is just a part of life. Fear is just a part of life, and it's impossible. It's impossible to not be afraid. But Jesus commanded it nonetheless. Hmm, what's up here? Well, let me give you a couple of passages uh, from the Gospels that will maybe help us understand it. Matthew chapter 10 um, Jesus gathered his, gather, his, his followers around and he said, listen guys, um, we're going to do something new today. He said, today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break you up into pairs and I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out two by two and I want you to do some things. By the way, that is where Christianity works best. Not when we're just hearing and listening and learning. It's when we're doing that it begins to kind of resonate. And so he's like, I want you to go and do some of the things that I've been practicing. And then he says this, I want you, I'm doing this because we're practicing. And he says, here's why. Because I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. You ever heard that before? That's where it comes from. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. I'm sending you out into a world that is dangerous. Uh, in fact, let me just tell you something that's true. Um, some of you are going to be arrested and some of you are going to get beat up. And all of you are going to die. But don't be afraid. Right? Don't be afraid. Look at this. In verse 28, he says it. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, um, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Now, the disciples had to be going, man, that's kind of confusing. Wait a second. First you tell us, don't be afraid, and then you tell us to be afraid. Which is it? So Jesus kind of goes a little deeper. He gives them a little illustration. And listen to this. This is fascinating. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Can, I mean, you can buy a couple of birds for a penny back then. He says, but listen to me. Not one of them 
will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. In other words, he's aware of everything that's happening. Then he transitions, he puts it on, on them, and he says something that even us bald guys can appreciate. He says, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Some of you are like, that's not a big accomplishment for God in my case. Well, but listen, listen, I know that God probably, you know, is kind of skipped, but I know that if God doesn't know the hairs on my head, he can't count any of that. He knows all the hairs on my back. Some of you are like, God doesn't care about that. Yes, he does. (laughs) My God does. Because he loves me. And he cares about me. And what Jesus' point here is, is that he is intimately involved in the affairs of your life to the point that he knows how many hairs or on your head, he cares. He cares. He cares. And so, don't be afraid. You have a God who cares about you very much, more than you can imagine, more than you can even believe. So don't be afraid. You are so much worth, you are so much more worth than a few birds. So that ought to make you feel good this morning. Amen? <laughs> so, they had to be thinking about this. They're like, what are you trying to say, Jesus? Are you telling us that we don't need to be afraid because you're not going to let any bad things happen to us? Jesus is like, no, I didn't say that. Um, it's actually better than that. Jesus would say, I'm going to show you how not to be afraid even if bad things do happen to you. They didn't probably understand that. And they didn't really believe it. But they went out two by two anyway and did what he told them. And so um, it's possible that as they thought about that, they began to connect dots because Jesus had talked about this before. Two chapters before uh, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus took his disciples on on a boat ride. And this is a pretty famous boat ride. You're familiar with it. And you've heard me say this before, that whenever Jesus needed a break from the crowds, whenever he needed some rest and relaxation uh, from the crowds and all that, he would often just get into a boat. I think it's one of the reasons that he hung around the Sea of Galilee. It was a way for him to escape. Jesus didn't have six black, tricked-out escalades that he could hop in and get away from the paparazzi when it got too much. He would just simply get in a boat, And in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, it tells us, Matthew tells us that then he got into the boat, and it's interesting, it says, and his disciples followed him into the boat. And so they row out across this lake, uh, a big lake, uh, and a very deep lake. This is the Sea of Galilee, and it's a huge lake. It's very, very deep, and it's in the bottom of a valley. Uh, There are mountains uh, and hills all around it. There's uh, Mount Hermon, which is just north of there. It has snow on it. It's one of the few ski resorts in all the Middle East. And the lake, you may not know this, the lake, the uh, level of the lake is 700 feet below sea level. And it's near the desert. The Jordan's just right there. And so you've got these kind of all this different weather patterns. You've got a lot of hot desert air mixing with cold air coming from the mountains. And you would get these violent, crazy storms. The Sea of Galilee was known for big storms and big winds that would come down from the hills. And so Matthew tells us in verse 24, as they're rowing out across the lake, suddenly, without kind of warning, a furious storm came upon the lake. So much so that waves, waves began sweeping over the boat. Now Matthew tells us that this is a, this isn't just a storm, it's a big storm. Hurricane kind of forest storm. It's a big storm, a furious storm, and, and waves were sweeping over the boat. In other words, it's kind of a kind of, kind of scary situation, right? They're in a little fishing boat, 
And it's, it's kind of scary. I mean, the wind and the waves are beating against them. And, and my, I think my point that I'm trying to make is that most of us can relate to these guys and what they were, the situation they're in. Because at some point, we've all been in a scary situation at one point or another in our lives. Uh, maybe you have been in a boat that was getting swamped by waves or on a cruise and the whole ship was rocking back and forth. Or maybe you've been in a car in the middle of a blizzard. Has anybody ever done that here in Steamboat? You know what I'm talking about? That's terrifying, right? Or maybe, maybe, maybe you were on a giant airplane and the engine blows up on you. Yeah, 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 on our flight. I'll never forget how afraid I was when I looked out my window after our 777 engine blew up over the Denver and I looked out and I saw flames in the engine on the wing of this plane. Terrifying. Terrifying. That was, thank you, United Airlines. I appreciate that. Uh, 30 minutes of terror with my family on that plane. My point is, is that uh, all of us can think of a time in our life where for at least a few moments, we were terrified. Fear gripped us. We were scared to death, and we got ourselves in a panic mode. Well, that's where these disciples were. I mean, just numb, frozen. And Matthew was there, and it's interesting, uh, Matthew tells us what happens, and it's interesting the little details that he remembers about this event. Look at this, in verse 24, he tells us something. He says, but Jesus was sleeping. We're dying. Jesus was in the front of the boat sleeping. Are you serious, Jesus? We're in, we're, we're in this middle of the lake, in the middle of a storm, and you're snoozing. It is unbelievable. In fact, that is unbelievable to me, and I have a theory. I can't prove it, but I'm going to say it anyway. My theory is, is that Jesus wasn't really sleeping. He was faking it. I can't prove it, but I just, I have a feeling that he was doing what we all do with our kids sometimes. You know, we pretend to be sleeping. Some of you are like, why would you do that? So they'll leave us alone, amen? <laughs> Get a little peace. Or we can listen in what they're saying. You know, they're like, you know, dad's asleep. You better not because you can hear and you can learn some things by playing, playing sleep. But I think that's what was happening a little bit. Jesus was acting like he was asleep. So you're going to hear these guys going, Jesus is sleeping. We're about to drown. We're going to die. And he's sleeping. Can you believe that he's sleeping up there? I don't know if that's the way it was, but I do know this. It was all a setup. Jesus did this on purpose. He, he knew, he knows the future. He knew the storm was coming. He put him in a boat and he put him in the middle of that storm. And I think that he's trying to teach them something. They're about to drown and they're convinced that he's asleep. <laughs> That's two opposing thoughts. But let me just say this. This is an important passage and here's why. Uh, some of you left your faith because you went through a tragedy. Some of you went through something years ago and you were like, I can't do this anymore. Maybe you had a divorce and you went through a difficult time and you prayed that God would save your family and he did. Or you went through some sort of storm in your life and it just went on and on and it seemed like God was asleep. You would pray, no answer, no change. And God didn't respond to your emergency the way you thought he should. And you have kind of come to the conclusion, well, either God doesn't exist or he doesn't care. Either way, I'm out. And I understand how you might feel that way. But I want to encourage you 
uh, to maybe consider coming back to your faith. And here's why. Here's why. This is interesting. You're not the first person that this has happened to. You're not the first person that's gone through this. The very people who knew Jesus, the very people who, who were closest to Jesus um, experienced what you experienced. They were convinced that their lives were falling apart right in front of them. They not only thought that Jesus was asleep, they saw him sleeping during the storm while they were about to drown. They were convinced. But yet, for some reason, they hung in there. They didn't bail out. They hung in there. And I want you to see what happened. Look at this. In verse 25, it says this. Then the disciples went and they woke him and they said, Lord, save us. (laughs) We are going to drown. And look at Jesus' response. He said, you of little faith, why? Why are you so afraid? Really? Um, uh, to which I'm sure one of the disciples at least thought this if he didn't say it. Um, Jesus, um, permission to speak freely, sir? Um, yeah, um, didn't you just read verse 24? There's a furious storm going on here, man. There are big waves all around us, man. We are about to drown. And you ask, why are you so afraid? What are you talking about? What kind of question is that? When you're drowning, it's completely natural to be afraid. That's natural, to be afraid. To which Jesus stands up in the boat and he shows these guys what's natural and what's not natural. Verse 26, it says, Then Jesus stood up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it became completely calm. And the men that saw this were stunned. They were amazed. And they looked at each other and they asked each other, what kind of man is this? What? Who is this? What kind of man has control over nature? Right? By the way, the only answer to that question is he was Superman. Amen? He was a Superman. He was more than a man. There was something more going on, and they recognized that. In fact, this is an interesting little piece of uh, tidbit. Mark, in his version of this story, uh, he says, get this, don't miss this, that when the disciples saw Jesus rebuke the wind and the waves, they, and he uses this, they feared a great fear. <laughs> Uh, In other words, he takes a a, a fear and he makes it a noun and a verb in the same sentence. They feared a great fear. In other words, their latter fear was greater than their former fear, which is the point that Jesus made to them earlier, right? At first, think about it. At first, they were afraid of the storm. They were afraid of the wind and the waves and of drowning. But now they're afraid of something else. They're like... Who is in this boat with us? Or what is in this boat with us? Right? I mean, they began to think, maybe our moms were wrong. Maybe there is something to be afraid of. Maybe more specifically, there is someone to be afraid of. A who. 
right? Remember, look at what Jesus said. He said, don't be afraid of that which can only destroy the body. Don't, for example, don't fear the storm. Or don't fear the cancer. Or don't fear this person, your boss, what they can do. Don't fear, uh, in the case of the uh, disciples, the apostles, don't fear the Roman Empire, right? Instead, fear the one who has power over your body and your soul and your eternity. In other words, fear God. In other words, realize that you're not God. You're not God. Uh, uh, there is a God, but you ain't him. There is a God out there. And so uh, this lesson wasn't over for them. Uh, that was a pretty horrific experience for them, pretty trippy. Um, but a few chapters uh, later in Matthew chapter 14, great little statement, Matthew says this. Uh, they were doing something, and Jesus said, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Now, I love this, uh, his word choice here. Uh, do you know why uh, uh, Mark uh, or Matthew says that Jesus had to make the disciples get into the boat? Because they remembered the last boat ride. They weren't enthused about doing this boat thing anymore, man. They were still a little gun-shy. They might have even still been a little seasick over the whole thing. They're like, we got to get into the boat. Yeah, he says, so Jesus made, before they followed him in the boat, now he's like, get in the boat. He made the disciples get into the boat and to go on ahead of him to the other side while he was going to dismiss the crowd. And so let me paint the scene here. Jesus says, okay, guys, get in the boat. Come on, let's all get in the boat. And one by one, they're like, okay, Jesus. And they reluctantly get into the boat. They all climb in, all 12 of them. I imagine Peter was probably last, and he comes rolling up, and he's like, Jesus, you go ahead and get in first. You're Jesus. And Peter's like, no, you get in the boat. And so Peter gets in the boat, and then Jesus slowly walks the boat out into about waist-deep water, and then he gently pushes them off. See you guys on the other side. And they're like, Wait, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Pray for us, Jesus. <laughs> they went and they're out and he pushed them out. And, and they shouldn't have been too surprised at this because Jesus was always pulling the rug out from under them and doing these things like this. In verse 23, it says this, that after Jesus dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there praying alone in, late into the night. Meanwhile, uh, scene shift the disciples were in trouble. They were out far from shore in a small boat and now a strong wind had risen and they were fighting against heavy waves. In other words, they were just kind of rowing, trying to get to the other side like Jesus told them and they were just rowing and rowing but going nowhere. They were in one place, right? And the waves began crashing over the boat again and the disciples were like, going, here we go again. This ain't gonna be good because Jesus ain't with us this time. Jesus can't save us. He ain't with us. We're goners. The ship is going down. We're going to drown. And apparently, this battle of man versus nature went on all night because Matthew says this, shortly before dawn, <laughs> right before, all night long, this is classic God. Those of you who've been walking with God, he never shows up early. Can I get an amen? It's always just right before dawn, Jesus went out to him walking on the lake. Now get this, in verse 25 it says this. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they became terrified. 
wait a second, weren't they just terrified of the wind and the waves? Yes, it's the same thing like before. At first they were afraid, and then they got really afraid. Because they're like, what is this? It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear, right? They cried out in fear again. They were afraid, and then they really got afraid. And and I, I want you to look at what Jesus says to them. And when they cried out in fear, it says this. But immediately, Jesus said to them, fail. You have failed again, you bad monkeys. I keep putting you in this situation. I keep telling you not to be afraid. And here you are, afraid again. Fail, fail, fail. No, he didn't say that. I'm just joking. Apparently, it's not very funny. I thought that was kind of cute. but he... No, here's what he said. He said to them, take courage. It's me. I'm with you. And then here's that commandment, again, that he tells us and he told them. Don't be afraid. Now, the disciples had to be thinking here, wait a minute. Um, you weren't with us on this trip. But apparently, you've been watching us. Apparently, you knew what was going on. And Jesus is like, exactly. Exactly. And you know what? Here's why. Here's why I did this. Because one day very soon, I'm not going to be with you. I'm not going to be here physically. But I want you to know I'm going to still be watching you. I still know where you are. I know what you'll be going through. And I will continue to count the hairs on your head because I'm fascinated by you. And I love you. And I care about you more than you could ever imagine. And so just as you didn't need to be afraid when I was asleep, you will never need to be afraid even when we're apart even when I'm not there physically with you. So here's the lesson. Here's what Jesus is trying to get them to understand and by proxy get us to understand. Don't be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. Right. Don't be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. This was one of Jesus' commandments to the early believers. Over and over. And it would probably do us well if we would add it to our list of things to not do. Don't be afraid even when there's something to In fact, we would probably go far by personalizing this. Putting it in our hearts. In fact, I added a few words to this so that we can. In other words, we could say, I... Don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. I don't have to be afraid even if there's something, even when the doctor says something that I should be afraid of. I don't have to be afraid even when, in fact, could I just ask you all, would you, would you say this with me? Would you say it together? Let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. I don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. Do it again. Let this get in your heart. I don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. Some of you aren't Christian. You got drugged to church by your wife. You're like, how long is this going to take? Just a few more minutes. But you didn't just say what I asked you to say. 
I want to challenge you all to say it. I want you to experience the power of this thought, this idea that Jesus preached over and over. Ready? Just say it. Everybody, can we all do it one more time? Will you? All right, ready? One more time. Ready? I don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. Some of you right now are thinking, man, I needed to hear that today. Um, I'm in a storm. I've been fighting it out all night, all week, all month, all year. And I'm slowly becoming convinced that God is asleep at the wheel. I've been calling out and nothing has changed. It appears to me, I'm beginning to believe that God is ignoring me. But I don't have to be afraid, even if there's something to be afraid of. This is what Jesus taught about fear. This is what he taught about fear, that you don't have to be afraid. And some of you and I, we hear this and we're like, okay, that sounds good in theory, Jesus. But that's another thing to put into practice. It's another thing to live that out. That's hard because this world can be scary. Scary things come. We get afraid. We get anxious. We take drugs to medicate our anxiety because we live in fear. There's a lot of stuff to be afraid of. But here's what really encourages me, uh, and, and I hope that you get this, and that is this. The disciples didn't learn this lesson right away. It took them some time. In fact, they didn't get it until way, way, way late in the game. I mean, you might remember late in the game, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. They come and they come and arrest Jesus. What did the disciples do? They ran. Why? Because they were afraid they would be next. After Jesus told them, don't be afraid, they gone. Then when he was crucified, they see him nailed, bloody, beaten, bruised, nailed to a cross, dying on the cross. What did they do? They ran, and this time they hid. They hid for days. They were afraid. Why? They were certain if they're going to kill him, they're going to kill us, right? They are going to kill us. And they ran and they hid. And uh, here's the thing. They even skipped his funeral. I mean, there's one or two people at Jesus' funeral. Why? They were terrified. In other words, listen, they feared that which could kill the body but couldn't kill the soul. But here's my point. Even though they heard all of Jesus' sermons, they heard him over and over preach about wonderful things, about the kingdom of God and how much God cared about him. They heard all of those in person. And they saw all of his miracles. They saw him calm the wind and the waves. They saw him walk on water. They still ran and hid at the very end. Because why? They were afraid. But then something happened. Something strange happened. If you know the story, you know that when they came out of hiding, when they reappeared on the scene, suddenly they were fearless. I mean, these people that were living, suddenly they weren't afraid of anything. They're like, we don't care what you do to us. You want to throw us in jail? Fine. You want to beat us? Whip us? Okay. You want to put us to death? Bring it on. In fact, we know Peter, every one of these guys was put to death for their faith and they could have got out of it but they didn't. Peter, they asked Peter, hey, is there any last request that you have before we crucify you? He said, just one. They're like, what? He's like, um, 
I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. Would you crucify me upside down? That's what you want? Yeah. Something changed. Something happened. What was different? They weren't afraid anymore at all for the rest of their lives. Was it another teaching? Was it another campfire chat they had with Jesus? Was it another boat ride that scared them? No. Um, they saw their resurrected Savior. They saw Jesus alive after him being very dead. And it changed them forever. After, my point is, is after Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples became utterly and completely fearless. Why? Because when your ultimate enemy is defeated, you begin to realize there's nothing left to fear. When death, the big boogeyman in all of our lives, it's coming that we're all like, what's going to happen? What's that going to be like? I don't know. I don't know. When that's been defeated, when Jesus comes back from the grave, you realize, what do I got to fear? What am I afraid of? What? They can kill me, but I got eternity. When you remember what Jesus said on the cross before he died, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, this isn't paradise. There's something better coming. And if Jesus can come back from the grave and he can say that, then I might be able to believe that he knows what he's talking about. Fear not. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Those commandments didn't make a lick of sense before the resurrection. Pie in the sky, whatever, Jesus. But after the resurrection, those commandments in the hearts of those believers changed the world. Seeing uh, the resurrected Jesus filled the disciples with a courage that shocked the world for centuries. That people were stunned by how these people were living their lives. They were unafraid of everything. Um, this is interesting, a little piece of history. In the second century, um, one of the emperors of Rome, a guy by the name of Marcus Aurelius, anybody heard of that name? Sound a little familiar? If you've watched the movie Gladiator, you might remember he's the old man, the old emperor who's in the tent, and his son Commodus comes and kills him, right? Well, in that movie, they kind of play Marcus Aurelius as a good guy, a sweet guy, but during his reign, he oversaw one of the bloodiest persecutions of Christians in history. It was brutal. And this happened around 165, 175 AD. And uh, during that time, there was a Roman doctor uh, by the name of Claudius Galenus. Um, he recorded little bits of history, wrote down things that he saw and experienced, and those have been kind of preserved and passed down through antiquities to us. Here's the interesting thing. Several of his writings mention the suffering of Christians. He mentions them. He wasn't a Christian, but he mentions them, and, and, and it impacted him. And, and here's why he talked about them. You may not know this, but back then, it was illegal for uh, people to examine a dead body. It was illegal to do an autopsy on a dead body. Back then, you had to bury the body or burn the body as quickly as possible, and you weren't allowed to kind of look at and do you know, an autopsy on it and look at it. And so doctors who wanted to study the human body and to see what was inside and what was going on, they would often hang around arenas or coliseums or other places where people were dying. And therefore, they could examine these bodies before they technically died. And so Dr. Claudius spent a lot of time around dying Christians who had just been tortured 
and mutilated for their faith. And it affected him. In fact, in one of his writings, he said this very simply about the Christians. He said, fearlessness of death and what comes after death is something that we are witnessing in these people every day. I'm running into these men and women whose bodies are, are shutting down. Their guts are hanging out. They've been torn apart for a spectacle. They knew they were going to die. They are now dying and they know they're going to die. And what I'm most impressed with is their lack of fear. They're not worried about dying and they're not worried about what they're about to enter into. In other words, no matter what we do to these people, no matter uh, what we put them through, they're not afraid of death. Everyone is afraid of death, but not these people. Why? Because they believed in the resurrection and fear was no longer a part of their lives. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Even when there's something to be afraid of. Because we got this. There's more going on than you can see. Amen? I'll pray for you. Wow, Jesus. Uh, God, thank you for your word. Um, you tell us not to be afraid and we hear that and we've heard it and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it and to believe that we could actually live that way. But as you have made it so clear, uh, in light of this historical fact, in light of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that he was nailed to a cross, died for our sins on a cross and buried for three days and came back from the dead in light of that, we realize we don't have to be afraid. Death has been defeated. And though I may die, Jesus promised me, and he knows what he's talking about, that I shall let yet live again. That there's more to this world than what I can see and there's more to this life than I've experienced. And so, thank you, Lord, for that. I pray that you would help us to live as Christians who recognize the power of the resurrection and what that means to us and that we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to, to be afraid even if there is something to be afraid of because we've got something better. We've got you. Thank you for that. Change our hearts. Change, this will change the way we live and this will change the way we love. This will be the way we change the way we spend our time. We have nothing to be afraid of for you. Thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, I want to just encourage you, if you're here this morning and you're going through a tough time, you need some help, um, you, you, you need someone to talk to, maybe you're afraid, 
um, hey, we're here for you. In a minute, I'm going to dismiss. People are going to go that way. But if you need someone to talk to, you need to pray with, I'll hang out down here. Some of my friends, we hang out here. We'd love to pray and help with you in any way we can. Secondly, if you're first time here, want to welcome you. Or if you've never been here before, hey, we'd love to meet you down here at the first time. Uh, or, or you've been coming, but you've never come to our first time uh, spot down there. Rini has a gift for you. Just wants to say hi, get your name. It's kind of a bribe. We'll give you a gift if we can get your name and say hello, okay? Cool? Did you have a good day at church today? All right, don't miss next week. See you guys. God bless.